0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Catch Kate podcast. This week, we are on episode 12 of season three. And there was no um, podcast last week because I got hit with the COVID. Um, And it really just knocked me out. And yeah it was a very unusual sickness um and I have found February to be just a month where I got hit with like two different periods of sickness which would be very unusual um so if you are out there and you're feeling low energy or you got sick or whatever just know that um you're not the only one because I did speak with a couple of people and I've heard of other people getting sick with different things you know I had nephews who had vomiting bugs and different sorts of flus and um, I'm after now like lashing up on loads of vitamins so um, I suppose it's just good for me to share Um, if you're not taking vitamin D you should be and that's what I've been told and I never took it before and I mean I should have in some way maybe clicked on living in a northern climate that vitamin d would be essential Um, so now I've gotten a dosage where you take a tablet like one tablet a week because um, it's a high dose and I actually feel like a bit more energy already and then vitamin c as well so if you are out there and uh, you've gone through the winter and you don't take vitamins maybe consider it especially if you're in Ireland definitely consider vitamin D the doctor was telling me that every single person should be on that um and yeah if you have any experience uh with vitamin D shots or anything like that let me know um I guess I was always very like kind of stubborn in that sense um thinking that my body could provide for everything but you know what like we don't have adequate sunlight here and it's not our fault it's <laughs> it's where we have where we're positioned in the globe, you know. Um, so yeah, I missed last week's podcast. Um, it was not a good week, uh, very difficult, and um, I did struggle a lot with the you know the illness, and um, yeah, I it like it's amazing because we've had these restrictions for like two years, is it? And I finally only got it now. Which is kind of crazy. Um, But yeah, so feeling uh, better than last week, thank God. And I hope you all are doing very well as well. So I just said I'd give you a little update there. Um, This week we are going to venture to Malta. Um, And I'm going to take you around some of the places I visited. Um, So Malta is actually south of Sicily. And it's just, it's just so gorgeous. It's so beautiful. Uh, Maltese food is quite famous. Loads of UNESCO sites, fishing villages. And they have the Blue Lagoon. It's just, it's an amazing place. Um, So I'll take you there. And I actually got my ambacara today, which is the beekeeping uh, insurance that I've purchased. So I'm part of a beekeeping association now. And they send me a lovely little booklet every month. Um so I'll read you a little bit from an excerpt from there and um, yeah, I love getting the book every month it's so exciting um, it's like my favourite thing to come in the door like because years ago I would have got Nat Geo now I'm getting like beekeeper Um, actually what does it say on the front yeah, the Irish Beekeeper volume 77 and it's the Federation of Irish Beekeepers Association Um, uh, yeah it's really cool, I love it <laughs> um so yeah so just a little um thank you um just to anybody who's listening who's subscribed who's shared my show um if you can please give it a yeah subscribe like follow share and if you can support me on patreon with a monetary contribution I would really appreciate that and help me keep my work going and um really hoping to expand the bees this year now and get more hives so if you can help me out i would absolutely really appreciate that and um yeah just keep the spirits lifted um so yeah so let's get going guys on our adventure so when i went to malta traveled from dublin i think at the time and um yeah it was actually It was only a couple of hours, the flight. Um, But it's real down in the Mediterranean, beautiful place. And at the time, I remember going to all the the museums in Dublin the day before and then flying out the next day. And um, I remember just landing in and thinking like, whoa, like it just looked really kind of um, um, like barren in some senses, but it was actually very green as well. And I hadn't seen anything like Malta before like the time that I went like you'd never hear of people going there you know it was very new you know I remember at the time people were like Malta they were like why would you be going there and I was just like um to explore and wander and discover you know but sure that continued throughout the years when I went to random places but yeah so one of the first places I visited there was Valletta which is um Oh, it's just, it's just an amazing, amazing city. It's actually a UNESCO site and it's full of, like, cobbled buildings, little narrow streets. They have a natural harbour there. Um, And as you walk around there, you'll notice, like, you know, they do speak English there. And you'll notice, like, a lot of the English rule you can still see a lot of it there, like you'll see post boxes, like the red boxes, and you might even see old kind of bombing um, relics or stuff like that. Um, but it, you can visit the basil- Basilica there of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, uh, which is really, really beautiful. And there was also a cathedral there from the 1500s. Absolutely breathtaking. And. Um, and they also have a big huge palace. And palaces are always. Yeah. Just full of riches and beauty. So you can explore that. And there's a lot of Islamic and Ottoman history there. Um, and then of course the food. Like the food there is amazing. There's just restaurants upon restaurants. And you get all the Maltese food. And you can get like the best plate of pasta. In Malta there. It's amazing. Um so another place you can go to is um Medina, which is actually the first capital and you can look it up online a picture of it. Um and it was actually a former settlement of Rome. And you have loads of temples there um which are actually UNESCO sites as well. There's a huge history there from thousands of years ago. Um so definitely is worth exploring and just the streets again just really narrow streets and kind of this architecture very they use this kind of stone there it was like whitey cream and yeah it almost feels like you're, you're lost there um, it reminded me a little bit of um, Croatia as well when I was in Dubrovnik just these really 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 high walls and you're kind of lost in between them Um, but yeah, when I was there as well, we stayed in a beautiful hotel with like a a rooftop pool and it was like, oh my God, I remember it was, it was late thirties, like degrees, you know, like 35 plus. I remember I had the heat. I couldn't, I couldn't hack it at all. Like I'd go out and just roast completely. And, um, I remember the first couple of days I got super, super, super badly burnt. Um, I just... I just wasn't protected, you know, and um, the beaches nearby were like very rocky where we were staying and yeah, it was just much easier to stay at the hotel. And I guess I didn't really notice when you're lying out in a lounge chair, you know, you just I just didn't notice. And I remember going around to pharmacy upon pharmacy trying to get all these creams and everybody was like looking at me and saying stuff to me because I was so red And my blonde hair as well. So I was like a tomato. It was so bad. Um, I'll never forget it. And I just said after that moment. I was like I'm never getting burnt ever again. Obviously that didn't happen. But I didn't get a burning as bad as that ever again. It was really bad. And as well in the town we were in. We used to see um, like these groups of Maltese. Yeah Maltese I suppose. People in the like group of fellas. They'd meet in the morning. And they were like. I think they were speaking Italian. They'd all meet up in these groups and they'd have these black clothes and they'd be having their coffee in the morning out in the street. And it's just really cool to see the locals just hanging out and chilling and so different to here, you know, but they always looked like they were up to something. Um, But you really do notice the English history there. Like when you go around, like people are very, you know, there's a lot of English rules still there, like the legal system and even at night when we would go out um, I remember being in the bars and like they were all drink driving and I was like you drink drive? And they were like yeah there's no problem. I was like what? I was like because in Ireland like that's like a big no-no. And another thing they had a lot of as well was like strip clubs which I kind of at first I was like what is going on in here because there was no bars there was very few bars open at night and I remember going into one of them and there was loads of women there and barely dressed. And I was kind of like in shock at the time, you know, I was like, what is this at all? You know, when you leave home and you go to these places and there's like women up on counters and poles and barely dressed. And I kind of, I didn't know what I was looking at. Um, It was quite new for me at the time. Um, Yeah. But um, the hotel in itself was amazing, and they had like big four star buffets in the morning and like kind of Mediterranean style food, you know, cheeses and tomatoes and fruits and breads and stuff. Really nice. Um, another place you can go to is Gozo Comino, which are like off of Malta. Um, and yeah, look up a picture of them because they're amazing. Um. Yeah, so you have the azure window, have a look at that online, it's absolutely mind-blowing. And the blue hole, but that azure window, it was actually like a sea arch, and a couple of years ago now, when there was a storm, the arch actually broke. Um. So people used to go down there and go diving and all of that, and it's a sensational place. But now with weathering and the storms, like the arch actually fell through. So now that like phenomenon is gone but you know this is mother nature um yeah and then you've loads of caves there where you can dive and explore and all of that and there's also um a load of hikes on gozo and there's a basilica there which is beautiful kind of sandy color um but definitely definitely look up the picture because the blue lagoon a lot of people will go up to iceland and go to visit that but you know, Malta, much hotter if you want a hotter climate and, um, you can visit a blue lagoon there. Um, another place you can go to is the Blue Grotto, which is on the south end of Malta. And, um, yeah, just again, beautiful place. And, um, you get loads of different blues and turquoises and just gorgeous colours, um, Again, and definitely worth visiting. Um, And then there's another spot called Dingley, Dingley Cliffs. And um, it's the highest point in Malta. And you can hike up there and just see these big, vast, beautiful cliffs. And you can even go to some traditional food stalls there and drinks. And you'll even be able to see like... um, some of the famous Maltese wines from the local vineyards and yeah just meet the local people and have the chats definitely definitely worth um visiting so just to talk to you a little bit about the food and drink because it's super diverse there and like Malta has been subject to so many like invasions um and just occupiers so there's like a real mix of um flavors and tastes and you'll have all different types of restaurants as well um yeah so like the local food really is quite rustic and based on whatever season that's going on so they they had a thing with called um lampuki pie which is like a fish pie rabbit stew they really like rabbit there um beef olives was another thing um and then they'd have this widow soup, which had like a goat's cheese or a sheep cheese in it. Um, and then like garlic with um, broad beans was actually a very common dish that you'd see around. Um, and then, of course, loads of snacks as well. So they'd have bread and olive oil, you know, the olive oil, like you're so close to Sicily. So, you know, oil is like obviously a big thing there. Um, you know, and you'd have tuna and onions and garlic and pastizzi, which was like flaky pastry parcels with mushy peas and ricotta. Yeah, amazing. Then you like another place. Then you can go to visit is the um, Maraschlock fish market. Um, can't really pronounce it, but when you go there, like there's so much fish. If you're a big fish person, but you can have like fish soup there. You can have bass bass sorry not bass I was thinking of the guitar um you can have white bream mullet swordfish tuna all around that I mean if you're into fish um and as I always say choose sustainable fish um they do also like they did also have loads of um octopus and squid um yeah and of as I said before like loads of wines as well like they are quite famous for wine um and and it is like um exported around the world as well so yeah um and you can get like wine tours um of the yeah the wineries or the vineyards and it really depends on the season because you might be able to see the whole process from the start to the finished the aging or you know you might just go to like a, a wine museum but yeah like malta is amazing and um the scenery outside of you know the capitals and like even in the capital like you get to see all the old citadel and the big high walls and cobble streets amazing to get lost in there and try the local foods um but also like to go out to gozo or to go see the sea arch that fell um the blue lagoon the dingley cliffs um it's just an amazing amazing place like look up online like pictures of Malta and you'll just be blown away and it's a real hidden spot you know and the people there are lovely a lot of the old laws are still there like I remember one guy telling me like that divorce was illegal so there's a lot of stuff that's still a bit backwards in some ways um but yeah definitely worth a visit and if you've been there let me know I'd love to hear from you So now I would like to um, share with you a bit on the Ambacara. Um, So they have a section in it called Beginner's Corner and it's just about the upkeep in March. So it just says here, by March beekeepers can't wait to see inside the hive but think what is best for the bees. Experienced beekeepers will tell you they have done their first inspection by now but they only have the hive open for about five minutes and can assess the situation in that time. I do not expect you have the ability, so think of what you can do without opening the hive. And here I mean lifting the crown board. So the crown board's on top, um, covering all the frames where the bees are. And there's normally little like space or a crack in it that, that you know they can come up and down. Um, you can heft it and check that it still has stores. Replace the floorboard by placing a fresh board beside the hive. Move the brood box onto it and before you clean down the old board, check what's on it. Um, If you have mesh floors with inserts, take out the inside and take it where you can inspect it in detail. From the old wax, you can see what part of the hive the bees are in and how many frames they're on. You can also check for varroa, bits of bees and whatever else has dropped through. So varroa was the mite. You can remove the mouse guard if you have one um, as you don't want to lose any of the early pollen the bees are bringing in. On a mild day, watch for bees going in and out. If some are zigzagging in front of a hive before going in, you need to check that the colony is alive and not being robbed out. If there's no activity at the entrance, check the entrance is clear. Then knock on the side of the hive and see if bees come out. If not, you need to see under the crown board and add a perspex crown board. It's very useful for this as you can see the frames and if there are bees. Um, If the colony has died out, close down the hive to prevent robbing and you will have to try and find out why this has happened before you can use the hive again. Also check that the entrance is not blocked by dead bees and rubbish being taken out by the others. You want to keep the hive as warm as possible, so put in the insert and cover the feed hole in the crown board. Don't forget to tidy under and around the hive so there's good air circulation. If you drop something, it will be easy to find. So the imbalance in March. The days are lengthening and hopefully the weather is getting warmer, so the bees are more active. As the queen steadily increases her egg laying, this year's bees are slowly emerging. As the month progresses, the amount of brood to be fed, so they're like, you know, the newling bees, and kept warm is increasing, and there's a high demand for bee bread to feed, which is the feed for the larvae. So, like, at first it's like a little egg, and then it becomes a larvae. So the winter bees are working hard while their number is reducing. This can cause an imbalance. More young bees and brood in relation to the adult bees in the hive. And to this, some bad weather when the bees can't get out and the result can be starvation. March is the month with the highest winter losses. You can help by making sure they have enough to eat. Fondant is useful here because they only take it down as they need it so there should be sufficient space for the queen to lay. The young bees will only start foraging at the end of the month. A good guide to when it is safe to open your hive is when the flowering red currant ribes is in flowers so go with the calendar for your area and with nature itself as the plants and bees know best. Record keeping is so important right from the start so you should do this before you open your hive, get a checklist based on the five questions. You then know what you're looking for before you start and as you go through the hive you answer each question with a number or a tick on your list. Um, having your checklist before you open the hive means that you only need to open it for a short period and you will have gathered all the basic information and it also means that you've appointed a comparison for your next inspection um, and they're just saying as well which flowers are available now so Viburnum tinus and v. Bud Budnantens So Viburnum is a large genus of garden shrubs with varieties to produce colour all year round and to suit almost every purpose. They're all hardy and very easy to grow. So that was really interesting. So I haven't done any bee inspections because it's too cold. Like, we actually, like, my windshield on the car has been frozen over the last few days. So, I definitely wouldn't be doing any inspections. It's really freezing outside, but I have fed them, as I said, with the fondant stuff. It's like sugar water mix, and they've been doing great. And they actually are out today now. It's quite sunny. There's also another little section about March. So, it says March is often the month when I am drawn outside again after the winter. I'm doing the outdoor beekeeping jobs to prepare for the season ahead, and I take a good look at the garden. Sometimes, in spite of my efforts and the amount of flowers in my garden, I spot many pollinators on the flowers, but very few honeybees. Indeed, honeybees tend to forage on abundant species, and these are mostly found in the hedgerows, woodland and fields. The conservation of natural habitat like hedgerows and woodland are absolutely crucial to many species, including honeybees. It's a big issue in Ireland but generally speaking we're doing quite well with more than 326,000 kilometres of hedgerow. I am however reassured that my honeybees do appreciate the supplementary food that my garden offers. I'm lucky that I have a big plot and early spring and late autumn flowering plants can make a huge difference. Last month bees started to rear brood and they will now need a good supply of pollen and nectar to build up the colony. Pollen- pollen (laughs) is especially important for brood food before i think to start what to plant in my garden i have heard how important dandelion was dandelions are rich in pollen and nectar each yellow head containing about a hundred individual flowers which represent a feast for honeybees and other pollinators we were doing garden visits one time with a permaculture group and we were invited to brainstorm about future planning One day at the end of March we were visiting a place in Kilmackinog where someone had just taken over the family home and started work on the garden which had been left to go wild. Someone noted, amazing you don't have one dandelion flower in your entire plot. Yeah, I'm trying to establish them, he said. They're so common we take them for granted but they are pretty, add a splash of colour, zero maintenance, so rich for wildlife and they continue giving until October. And they're mostly flavoured in early spring. So the first thing I did was to recognise the free zero-maintenance bounty already in place for the bees. The other wild plants that I have found useful in March are Alexander, Dead Deadnettle and Speedwell. Dandelion is by far the star of the early spring season because it grows abundantly and as we have learned, that's what bees favour. An abundant, easy, rich, easily accessible food source. And then it just says, bees need open flowers. So if I can see the center of the flower, I know bees will be able to access pollen and nectar. So no complicated double flower roses or dahlias in my garden. The honey flow is short in Ireland, but bees can be active nearly all year round if we have mild winter. So year round interest in the garden is the best. Flowering plants in the garden in the winter are gorse, winter flowering honeysuckle, winter flowering heather, willow, primrose, snowdrops and crocuses. Um, later in spring bees will enjoy bluebells, crab apples, flowering cherry and currants and rosemary. Um, yes. And it says here a single mature willow tree will yield the same amount of bee food as an acre of wildflower meadow. Of course, since I live in rural area, the fields of rapeseed bring a serious glut so you can see how important the willow is like you know if you are planting like imagine planting a willow tree like how beneficial that is for bees um so yeah so the bees are doing quite well I'm excited for the year ahead um and I'm excited to teach more about it and learn more about it um but I actually wanted to talk to you a bit about what I noticed these last couple of days um well, when I was on my morning walk after the swim, I noticed a big, huge, black species on the rocks at the beach, and it was a big whale, a fin whale, stranded. And um, so it was forty foot long, a young, a young fin whale, and um, absolutely massive, like huge, um, and it was actually died from starvation. So the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group, I reported the stranding. Um, they had actually come down at the weekend. So when it, when it landed on the 27th and they took a sample from its gut area, they cut out a piece. And um, yeah, I don't think they're going to do an op- autopsy or anything, but it, it starved. Um, but it was amazing to see it. Like it was absolutely colossal. Like I'm sure bigger than my house. Um, huge. Huge. And this big black being. And underneath quite white. And then the baleen in the mouth. So you could really see in. And I just when I was looking at it. I was like how could this species be so perfect. You know. Um, Amazing. Um, I just. I'm still quite. Just overwhelmed with like how big it was. Um, But I went down there with a friend of mine. After and her son. And her son was like oh my god. I've never seen a whale. Um. obviously you know seeing one dead for the first time isn't the best but we could actually really get a glimpse of how big these beings are like they're massive Um, and we did actually have a little ritual there and we said goodbye you know we said a little healing ceremony me and my friend and just imagining like where that whale had been like to the depths of the Atlantic and all around the seas and finding krill and sprat and whatever. And like it was just enormous. But I'd say it'll actually take weeks to decay. It's just colossal the size of it. And I do remember actually in the Philippines, you know, they would catch whales, you know, harpoon them or whatever way, you know. But the whale would feel the, the whale would feed the village for months and months, you know. Um, and yeah so it's crazy um, and they would do it as well like when I was in Antarctica if you missed that episode uh, go and listen Grythavik um, in the whaling station I remember visiting and we would visit all the different factory houses where they would you know heat up the blubber you know extract the you know whatever they needed ink or the fat or you know and I'm for a long time they wouldn't even use all the whale you know they were using parts of it and they didn't realize that it was all they could use all of it and you can get oil from it and oh I don't know anyway it just brought me back memories of visiting that place in Antarctica you know how whales were so valued by the Norwegians and wherever else where they were whaling you know but it was just so sad to see one dead you know but again, it was like the work of nature to see such a massive being and, you know, the spirit will live on. So, so, yeah, so I guess, yeah, just to um, share that story. Um, but in other news, um, yeah, I'm excited for March to be in good health. Continue on my vitamins and um, yeah, to really get into nature now more and more as the days get so long and it's it's going to be exciting and you know the birds even this morning at you know 7 30 super loud so I'm waking all the time with them and they start quite early just after seven and um, yeah I hope you're all keeping well Um, keep up the uh, well-being exercises get in the water if you're getting in the water walking in nature touching the bark of a tree um yeah just get outside get your hands in the soil think about maybe you could even seed lettuce this year start small and um yeah I hope you enjoyed Malta I hope you enjoyed the bee stories and um yeah have a wonderful uh weekend and just I suppose a final thank you to the patrons who support um every month and um, I really appreciate that. And if you are getting something from the podcast, please contribute um, um, your support. Um, it could be whatever you put value on this. Could be a slice of a cake and coffee or or whatever you think. Um, and yeah, I was speaking to a friend during the week, Fiona, and she told me she's on Australia she's a little bit behind but she was saying like oh my god what happened with the wasps and the bees and and I was like you have some catching up to do um so yeah so that was it's really nice that people get really excited and into it so really glad that I can share that um so yeah guys keep up the good vibes and I'll talk to you all soon ciao